You know that feeling when you have food on your face and nobody tells you. You go through the whole party with food on your face. Everybody can see it, but you can't. Well, there's a lot of parts of life that are like that. And this is particularly true with our writing. We often lack the perspective to see where our writing needs to be. Now, you can always hire an editor and eventually you'll want to do that. But if you're still getting better at writing, if you're still working on improving your craft, working with an editor, you're not even quite ready for that. What you need is a critique group. Now, I have been recommending critique groups on this podcast and on my other podcast for years. And I get the same excuse from most authors because most authors are not in a critique group, especially the struggling ones. And they all give the same excuse. There's no critique group in my area. I live in the middle of nowhere. I live in the suburbs. I live in the city. All the critique groups are different or other or different. And I can't be a part of a critique group. Well, there's a simple solution. Start your own critique group. (laughs) Be the critique group you want to see in the world. Make it happen. So how do you do that? How do you start your own critique group? How do you start the kind of critique group other talented authors want to join? Well, that is what we're going to talk about in this episode of the Christian Publishing Show, the podcast for authors who want to honor God through excellent writing. And we're joined by a very special guest today. She is an international singer and songwriter, a multi-published author, and host of the award-winning God in the Ordinary podcast. She's a member of the Live Right Texas, a writer's tribe that encourages writers to grow the kingdom of God through their craft. So a very similar mission to our podcast. And they recently released their first anthology, The Right Calling. Sharon Tedford, welcome to the Christian Publishing Show. Thank you so much, Thomas. It's lovely to talk to you from this side of the mic. So as you've already been a guest on my podcast, so it's lovely to be with you from the other side. (laughs) That's right. And thank you for having me on God in the Ordinary. It was a very fun interview. It's a really great podcast and a very British podcast, even though you're living here in the (laughs) States. You add that to that posh, which was really fun. (laughs) Thank you. So what are some of the benefits of being part of a writer's group? Oh my goodness. I love your introduction. You walk around with food on your face, but nobody tells you. This is exactly why I am in a writer's group, because I thought that what I was doing was great, and my punctuation was wonderful. Apparently, in America, your punctuation is a little bit different (laughs) from us Brits, which is slightly annoying, but also, you know, something I need to learn because we live here in Dallas. So getting together with a bunch of people who know more than I do, and who see things differently from the way that I do. That's the double-sided thing of being in a writer's group. Not only do people know things that I don't, but they also see things differently. And so getting together with a bunch of people who love Jesus and love to write, you end up with some absolute gems and encouragement as well, actually, in those moments when you feel like, this is really good, and then one person tells you, you know, that's a bit rubbish. So then you feel like, I'm giving up. Well, when you're in a writer's group, all of your friends might say, well, we can improve upon that, but your writing's really good. I love this bit. I love that bit. You know, being in a group of people who have the same goal, who love Jesus, who want to write and improve the way that they write, is a win for everybody. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And the writing journey, especially the journey to commercial success, to making a living, is a really far journey. It's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that happens even in one year or two years. It's a years and years, sometimes decades long 
journey. And it's too long of a journey to do it by yourself. (laughs) You need others to go along with you. Because it's not just about the critiquing on the craft and learning how to use fewer adverbs. It's also about the encouragement and the fun of it. And the Inklings, the most famous writers group probably ever, one of the most famous ones, they enjoyed each other's company. They were a part of the group, Tolkien and Lewis and the others, because they enjoyed it. It was fun. And it wasn't just because it was at a pub. You know, they, they, <laughs> they enjoyed being around other authors. There's a fun and an experience of being around other authors that normally, for a lot of writers, they only experience it at a writer's conference, which is a really expensive way to experience that community. Because when you talk about a film, when you talk about a book that you've read with other authors, you're able to use a, a more sophisticated vocabulary. You're able to talk about it in more depth where you're talking about the storytelling and the protagonist and the antagonist and the motivations and why it worked and why it didn't work. And that's fun. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's not like, a, oh, I have to go to writer's group. It's like, yay, I get to go to writer's mm-hmm. group. That's what happens to us when we get together because we have the same interests. So we just spark off each other and we love each other. We really love each other's company. And actually, my husband knows when I'm texting with the girls, as I call them, because the text just goes ping, 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 ping for about half an hour. And I'm like, yeah, it's just the girls. Because we might be telling somebody, oh, I saw this really funny joke today I want to share with you all. Or can you pray for my son because this just happened? Or, oh, my goodness, have you read this article? This really helped me today. You know, it's just we love each other and we're friends. And that friendship has grown from zero because we have the same goal in mind. And I want uh, for somebody who's like, okay, I want to start a writer's group. Share your story of getting into it in the first place. You're you're new to this country. So how did you start such a thriving writer's group? Well, I first of all bumped into somebody in a car park, in a parking lot. My husband was saying hi to a friend of his and his friend was with his wife. And my husband said, oh, this is my wife, Sharon. And his friend said, oh, this is my wife, Deb. And he went, oh, she's an author. Sharon, haven't you done some writing? And then that's how we started talking. And then she persuaded me to go on a writer's conference with her, which I did. With much trepidation, I have to tell you, that was before I was published. I went as a not yet published author and sat in on the conference talks and discussions. And oh, my goodness, it was wonderful. And it was terrifying and met lots of people. It was all about, at that moment, meeting people and remembering that we were all there for the same reason. And so I think at the beginning, what really happened for us was a networking moment. Authors are really good at sitting at home alone and working and then going out and being together because you have to be, but not really wanting to be together (laughs) because many of us are a little bit introverted. And so what happened at this particular conference was Deb Diamond, who is one of our Living Right Texas founders, was chatting with two other protégés, actually, who live in this area in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And they were all bemoaning the fact that there was no writers group here. And so one of them said, well, why don't we just start one? There's three of us. And then Deb said, well, I know Sharon. And then Michelle said, well, I know Laura. And everyone came to the party with one other person. And that's how it happened, that we started off with nine of us. But really, it was through networking. And so my first thing when people say to me now, how can I start a writer's group where I live? I say networking is such an ugly word, isn't it? But network. But at the same time, don't do it just for the card. Don't do it just for the business card. 
do it for relationship. And what I do now when I go to a conference is you have your name badge. Underneath it, I write Dallas Fort Worth so that people can see, oh, I live near there without having to get into conversation. Because sometimes you forget to ask that. You ask about what they're writing and where their family are from and what their favourite movie is, perhaps, or what's their favourite podcast. (laughs) And you forget to say, where do you come from? And you find out they live three miles down the road. So that's a tip that I've been saying to people on your name badge, right where you're from, because you might bump into somebody else from your town, or even if it's just half an hour away. Or an hour even. You can drive both drive half an hour and meet each other in, in the middle, can't you? That's right. And you only need two or three people. In fact, I would almost recommend starting a writer's group with just two or three people and then growing from there rather than starting with a group of 40. Nobody's mm-hmm. done this before. It's going to be very unwieldy. <laughs> we have between eight and 10 and no more than 10. We'll, we'll never be bigger than 10. We've always said that. And people only come by invitation, not by trying to get in if people want to get to the group we say go start your own let us help you how but we're just because it's just unwieldy and you can't be friends with 40 people there's a role for that size of meeting you can have a meeting and you can have presenters and i presented at those kinds of writers groups and there's nothing wrong with that kind of writers group but it doesn't replace the smaller critique group where you're not just friends with each other but you're actually reading each other's writing right you can't yes. read 40 people's manuscript but you might be able to read five people's manuscript and, and give them feedback and then give you feedback yeah, we don't even call each other a, a geek group, actually. We just call each other a tribe because it's way more than critique. And when we are together, I promise you, we are a bit like a tribe. We're not quiet. We are a bit unwieldy, even just the eight of us as we are at the moment. But it's important that we can be fully engaged with each other. And you can't do that with 40 people. Like you say, it's it's a great way to do a conference. It's a great way to sit and learn, but it's really not building relationships and growing together. So walk us through what a meeting looks like. How often do you meet and what do you do in your meetings? Well, we meet three times a year. And the one time a year, the fourth part is usually during conference seasons. And we try to go to conferences together, at least some of us, not always all of us, but together, at least in a two share a room, it's cheaper. But every single time that we meet, we actually go away for a weekend. And that has been wonderful. So we meet on a Friday evening. Some of us still have a day job. So coming after work and meet on a Friday evening. We get straight into it on a Friday night, all day Saturday, and then up to before lunch on Sunday, because we have a couple that have a further to drive and also go back to work the next day. So we meet three times a year, but we also Zoom call each other with intention. And we text rather a lot, much to our poor husband's chagrin, because they're never short conversations, I think, because we have a lot to say. (laughs) And are the Zoom calls like a scheduled Zoom call where it's like, you know, Thursdays at 7 p.m., that sort of deal? Not even that often. What we try to do is if we haven't seen each other for a while, particularly during the summer season, and somebody says, actually, I've got a couple of mastermind questions. I want to read you this passage. I've got a sentence I can't fix. I want to read my whole chapter to you. Can we all gather together? Or I'm not sure what we're going to do on, as the first thing on our agenda in October. Any ideas? So we meet together, or even if someone has something they want to pray about, and we just hop on a Zoom call, which has been so great now that we all know how to use a Zoom call. We don't have to say, you're on mute. And we can actually do it properly, which is really good. (laughs) But that's not the way to move forwards on a Zoom call always. But it's a great addition to our face-to-face meetings as Living Right Texas as a tribe when we see each other face-to-face. And then we have the same shape of meeting 
every time we meet, but we plug in different things in the agenda. So these three ingredients I find to be very common ingredients across successful groups and how they cook with those ingredients often vary. So the three ingredients are the kind of live online meeting, the in-person meeting, and then the asynchronous text communication, right? So you send a text, somebody may respond five minutes later or an hour later. It's asynchronous in the sense that you're not live at the same time. And there's a role for all three of those kinds of communication. And the in-person meeting, I'd say is probably the most important because that's where the friendships are really developed. And it's those in-person meetings that really help that text have more meaning and context. And the Zoom is kind of in the middle. And it's interesting that you meet so infrequently, but for so long. And this is totally a valid way to do it. And for some of you listening, you're like, that's the format I need. I can't do every Thursday at 7 p.m. That's way too much commitment. And if you live in a rural area or if you live far away from your fellow writers, a weekly kind of appointment may be totally unmanageable. But driving two hours to a cabin in the woods with a bunch of other authors, hopefully that you know <laughs> well enough to drive to a cabin in the Although, woods with. if you don't know them, it's going to make a really good story one day. <laughs> it's exciting either way. But that makes sense doing that three times a year. And I know some groups like this, they'll combine with the conference. So let's say the conference starts on Thursday. They may all show up for the conference on Tuesday and they get an hmm. Airbnb and they spend two days together at the Airbnb hmm. and then they all go to the conference together and they're able to basically use their travel for the conference twice, which makes the huh. flights effectively less expensive. That's a genius idea. I am taking note. <laughs> so you meet on Friday. I mentioned there's some chit chat, but like at what point do you pull out the books? Like what are the different... <laughs> elements that happen in that weekend meeting. I think it's very kind of you to say that there is some chit chat because yeah, you can imagine <laughs> it's a little like herding cats. So what we do every single time, and actually this is my part of the group, is we worship together. So I used to be an elementary school teacher, so I'm very good at herding cats. So I gradually get them all to come into the lounge area. We sit down in the living room and we worship. I'm a worship leader, so I come with stuff prepared and we sing together. That has always been our first step, always, right from the very beginning, before we knew each other, that was the first thing we did on our first day. We sat down together in a room where, like I say, everybody knew at least one person, but nobody knew everybody. And we sat down together and we worshipped God, just giving a foundation of, this is how we start. This is who we're writing for. This is who we're living for. We have living right Texas. This is who we're living for. And so that's really, really important to us. And if you're thinking of starting your own group and you think, well, that's all well and good for you, Sharon, because you are a worship leader. What if I'm not a worship leader? Well, there's plenty of ways for you to do that. You can go to this thing. You may have heard it. YouTube. And you can grab a few <laughs> songs from YouTube that you think would be a great way to start a session together, focusing your thoughts and your mind, focusing your ideas, your intentions on Christ. And actually, you can either get somebody singing the words, or you can even find karaoke worship music. So they put the words up and you sing along with it. So if you actually want to sing, you don't want someone singing for you on YouTube. There's plenty of ways for you to do it. But we do that on Friday night before we start on Saturday morning before we start and on Sunday morning before we start. And often one of those times we actually have communion together as well at some point, just because, as you said earlier, we don't meet face to face very often. So we just like to 
make sure that we're all in the same place worshipping God first. So that's the first thing that we do is worship and pray and thank God for being together and thank him for the gift of creativity and thank him for what he's going to do. We pray in expectation. We pray for each other. Sometimes people have come from a terrible day at work or, as we said earlier, a very difficult family situation where they want to be at the Living Right Texas retreat, but they're thinking about something that's happening at home. And we pray about that and say, well, Lord, could you look after that so that right now we can focus on what you've called us to this weekend? God hears us when we do that. And then we start with actually one of my favourite things that we do every time, which is writing prompts. So three weeks before we go on our retreat, one of our number, and this is a shifting hat, so it's somebody else's responsibility at each retreat, somebody sends out 10 writing prompts that you can choose one from and you mustn't write more than 350 words. And so you have to come with that prepared. So you've got three weeks to write 350 words. And the very first time we did that... It was incredible because it was an introduction to each other's voice. People that we didn't know, we'd worshipped together and then we pulled out the papers of our writing prompts and suddenly you see, oh, you're a mystery writer or you're a poet. And I'm a songwriter and I actually wrote a song for that, which the girls all call their song now, which I released as a <laughs> single a while ago. So we all got different flavours and ideas and it was really helpful to see the style of each other's writing. So we laugh and we cry through people's stories through that. It's a really good way. And some of those writing prompts have turned into articles or devotionals that have been published. And we actually talk about them. We don't just read them. We read them and then say, oh, I loved the way you did this. And that was really helpful. And I'm going to learn from you from the way that you wrote that sentence structure. We don't critique, but we do say what we enjoyed about it. That's the first thing that we do together. I love it. So what happens next? Well, there's always an agenda that comes out before we go. And again, that's something else that we shift between people. It's not always one person's job to do the agenda. We do need structure. Otherwise, it would be terribly chatty. A lot of chatty rambles going on. And so we move from one thing to the next on purpose. So the agenda usually has something that will keep us focused and intentional. And that could be that somebody in the previous retreat has said, well, I've really been struggling with how to write educational articles for elementary school, and I'd really like to do that. And so somebody says, well, actually, I know about that, or nobody knows about it. And somebody raises their hand at the previous retreat and says, I will go and research that and we'll learn together. So at the next retreat, that is on the agenda. And the person who's teaching will teach the room using PowerPoint or notes or whatever. And so we move between a topic teach, be it small or large, and then maybe, and then we have lunch together. And then we perhaps move into somebody in the afternoon says, I've given you my chapter, would you all read my chapter? Let's have a mastermind on that. And this character doesn't seem to be developing enough for me. What do you see him? How do you see him? Where are his holes? And then we can mastermind that together, which is so good to do together with a group of people who love each other. We all learn from that. Even if I'm not going to be writing characters necessarily, I am going to learn from what someone else is saying to the other person over this. When members teach each other, that's that kind of teaching is so powerful because we trust each other and we know each other. And so we believe what the other people are saying. It's just a really great way to share the knowledge and the expertise that we already have without having to go and pay for a conference where somebody will teach us that 
Of course, we do that as well, because <laughs> we all need to learn. We should all be lifelong learners, but we share what we know and what we have. And I think that's why that worship and prayer is so beneficial, because it doesn't just center you on God, but doing that together and spending that time in chit-chat and eating those meals together, that builds that trust so that when you get that critique, you know that it's coming from a place of love and not a place of envy, right? Because that's one of the big killers of these kinds of groups. One of the authors gets successful and the unsuccessful authors get envious of the successful authors and it poisons the group. And that that play together is so important. I was reading recently about the importance of dads to wrestle with their children and why that's <laughs> beneficial. And children often are more likely to accept discipline from their fathers because of that wrestle time, that the discipline is basically the price the child's playing in order for the playtime. They, they like playing with dad. And so they have to put up with the discipline to get it. Or I, I don't know how true that is, but it seems to be with three little ones in my house. They love wrestling <laughs> with me, sometimes to my own injury. <laughs> they're getting bigger. <laughs> I think that's a really good point, Thomas. I want to pick up on that because I think it's really important, actually, that relationship is really foundational. And the relationships that we're talking about are relationship with God first and then relationships with each other. And that's how you can have a really good critique group, if that's what you want to call it, but a tribe, as we call it. It's really important that you have honest and real relationships. And I don't want everyone to think that it's been easy peasy. That We have had some sticky moments and some difficult conversations where we've had disagreements. But because we love each other, we work through that. And we stay in the place of, we're going to be standing next to each other for eternity. We should probably figure this out now. <laughs> In business school, we studied the team development process. There's these four steps in developing a professional team. It's forming, storming, norming, and performing. So the first step is forming. The group is coming together. It's the honeymoon phase. Everyone's on their best behavior. And then the next step is the storming. This is where you're fighting out who is the alpha and who has got the expertise on the various issues and who does what role and where you fit. And there's often a lot of conflict there, especially in a professional context, because the stakes are higher. Conflict's going to still exist in something like your tribe, but not as intense. And what results out of that is norming, right? You create the norms, the expectations. You kind of know what the roles are. You know who is the person who's answering the phone when the customer calls and who's the person who, you know, fix the code on the website or whatever. And then that final step is performing. It's where everyone has their spot on the team. They know what they're doing. They know they can trust the other people on the team. And you also need to understand where they're good, right? So you're going through those same stages, right? And Absolutely. so don't see the conflict as like, oh, if only we'd have done it better. If only we'd have been better Christians, we wouldn't have gone through the conflict. <laughs> no, right? There was conflict. The 12 disciples had so much conflict. Yes. Jesus gave them nicknames, two of which were the sons of thunder. Mm -hmm. right? That's... Mm -hmm. that, Talk about some intense competition, right? They were they were competitive with each other over who was going to be the greatest. And Jesus told them, here's how to be the greatest. He didn't say, don't try to be the greatest. He's like, That's good you're point. going about it the wrong way, but your mm -hmm. aim is a good aim. But here's how to do it. Hmm. So what happens next? So you've gotten us through the afternoon. I imagine you have dinner together. We do have dinner together. And then we would usually, it's funny you just said that, we would usually in the evening do something fun play a game together, some icebreaker stuff, or, or if somebody just has something that they want to talk about, something that's on their heart that they want to share. And we always vow that we're going to go to bed at a good time, and then we never do. And we stay up for <laughs> hours and hours talking. And some people drift off because one of our group particularly is a very early riser, and she likes to get up to worship God with the sunrise. 
that's not me. But she sometimes slinks off because she's going to be up way before the rest of us. And then in the morning, we have our own Bible time. We do that separately because I think it's important that we still maintain our own personal relationships with Jesus. And then we get back into worship and then we do whatever's next on the agenda. And this is the advantage of a smaller group because each meeting is different. Each quarter, the topics are different. The structure uh, shuffles a little bit, I imagine. And because the group is smaller, you have that flexibility to adapt the group to the needs of the members that quarter or that meeting. Yeah. So if everyone's all publishing a book all together, the meeting's going to be different than if everyone's working on separate books. And if they're early on in the process, they're going to have certain kinds of questions. If they're later on in the process, they're going to have different questions. And it'll go yeah. through cycles, right? You publish the book and then you're starting all over again. You're like, exactly. okay, brainstorming. Which of these 12 ideas that I have for my next book should I work on next? And so that's important that we actually have that agenda. So if you have an idea that you want to be on the agenda, you need to do that two or three weeks before so that we can get that in. When we hand out the writing prompts three weeks before, we also hand out the question, do you want to put something on the agenda? When I do this, because I ran a writer's group, mastermind group, for many years. I still do run them, but I had one that we met in person once a year. So it was a similar kind of meeting. It's interesting because a lot of things you're doing, we are doing. Our hmm. meetings are a little bit longer. The rule of thumb is the more frequently you meet, the shorter the meetings can be. The less frequently you meet, the longer the meetings tend to be because you just have to kind of squeeze it all in. But we would create a Google Doc a month, month and a half before the meeting and it would have kind of the broad strokes outline. Here's when lunch is going to be. Sometimes we had like little modules. So mm-hmm. here's session one, session two. And you basically grabbed a session. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I'm taking session three and I'm going to be presenting on this. Or I'm going to be asking such and such a question. And it, and everyone was able to edit the Google Doc and make changes to each other. And we also took turns who was cooking. <laughs> so, yes. And what I want you to hear is not that this is the way to do it. The, the reason I've been going into so much detail and really wanting Sharon to share how she does it is because this is a way to do it. And hopefully you're listening to this and you're like, I can make that happen. And, and maybe you're like, oh, I'm not going to get the Airbnb. That's too much cost. But I can host everyone at my house one yeah. Saturday a month, right? So everybody comes over at two o'clock on Saturday and from two to six, we have a meeting and then we all order pizza at the end, right? You can make yeah. this as simple or as cheap or as complicated. And another thing to keep in mind is, is this a group where people are more time rich, where they're willing to donate their time and make the meal? Or is this a group where people are more cash rich, where they're really busy and they very much be happy to just pay for pizza Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not have to cook? And so each group gets its own little culture. And this is what's so fun about keeping it small. And and so don't feel like, oh, I've got to have eight people to make this group work. It can work with three. I think two is a little weird. It's not really a group at two. (laughs) Unless it's a spouse, in which case, then it's just marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But once you have three people, that's when the dynamics start to shift into group mode. So I'd say three is probably the minimum. 12 is the maximum. Because the more people you add to a group, the more one-on-one relationships there are, and it grows in this exponential curve or I think it's technically a factorial curve, uh, but it's still, it just goes straight up into the right after a while. Too few, and it's a really small number, and it doesn't really work because you have mm. two people, it's only one relationship. You have um, three people, and it's three relationships, and it's four people. I'm not going to do the factorial progression <laughs> alive on the air, but the sweet spot <laughs> is somewhere between three and 12. And I think a lot of it depends on how committed everyone is and how much time everyone has because each person yeah. you add to the group brings another 
level of expertise and perspective, but also more complexity. And for us, we would not do more than 10 because we sleep away. And so we don't want somewhere, we want we don't want to have to buy somewhere or pay for somewhere that's because once you go over a place for 10 people, although we're only eight at the moment, it's going to cost you a lot more money. You know, that that's really a factor in this. I mean, it's a practical factor, but it is it is one. My wife found a Bavarian castle on Airbnb in the central Texas Hill Country. And I was like, oh man. <laughs> Somebody I built a castle address. in the central Texas Hill Country. <laughs> and it's an Airbnb's bookable castle. But you're exactly right. The bigger the group, the lower your options are. But if you wanted to afford a castle, 10 people or 15 people might make it more affordable. Wow. Than yes. Eight. I need that address, please, Thomas, before we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'd be surprised. Go on Airbnb and type in castle. There's a shocking okay. number of castles. I, I realize <laughs> in the old world where you come from, running across a castle is not a big deal. But in the new world, there's big castle envy. And there's a shocking number of relatively new castles being built, even though the Vikings are no longer invading. But I do want to ask if you have any advice for somebody who is like, I'm going to make a writer's group happen, what advice would you have for that person? Well, first of all, I would say pray about it. I know that's kind of the Christian answer, isn't it? But really, I mean it, pray about it, because we all fell into place because Deb prayed about it. Deb Diamond, our fearless leader, she prayed about it. And then this person knew that person, like I said, that person knew this person. And also don't rush. I would also say don't rush it, spend time making connections with people before you commit with them, like you would with any kind of a friendship. You're not just going to go away for a weekend with someone who you've met for five minutes. You're going to spend some time together thinking, is this going to work? And you really ask each other about their faith journeys too. For me, that's really important. Now, if you're listening and, you, and you're not a believer, then that probably isn't something that's important to you. But maybe you're listening and you think, well, we all need to be fiction writers. So then you need to ask about whether they really are fiction writers or whether that's their path. Our group have lots of different genres of writing and it works for us because our goal is Jesus. So you do need to have a shared goal. And if your shared goal is Jesus, then you need to make sure that that's a real shared goal and that you will be intentional about that. So yes, pray about it. Spend time thinking about who you're going to gather. And don't be afraid, just as Thomas has said, he's so right. Don't be afraid to just have three of you. It's a really good place to start. You don't have to suddenly jump into eight or ten. But if the Lord brings you eight or ten people, don't be afraid of that either. Because if he's gathering that group together, he has a purpose for it, and he'll have provision for it, and it will all fall into place. So I guess really what I'm saying is pray and be brave. Those two things. The keys to doubles tennis are to be (laughs) a good partner and to pick a good partner. There you are. And that's another advantage of it being a small group is that it's easier to make a small group invite only. If you're meeting at the library at 7 o'clock on Tuesdays, people are just going to walk in and sometimes the library won't even let you kick them out, right? Because it has to be an open meeting Mm. depending on the library. And so that's a different kind of group dynamic. You're not going to be as comfortable sharing your fears or your vulnerabilities in a room of strangers or a room with a stranger. But in a small group, you're careful who you invite in. And so I I really like that. You want to make sure that they have a similar goal. And the more it's a critique group, the more you want, especially in fiction, people to be more closely aligned with you. And you have to be careful getting too much critique from somebody who writes a really different kind of fiction for a really different audience. So if you're writing military science fiction and a romance writer is giving you feedback, you need to be careful about that feedback. (laughs) 
because your military science fiction can't be too lovey-dovey or you'll lose your military science fiction readers. Yeah, I don't want any touchy-feely, no touchy-feely commanders. That would be weird. <laughs> Sharon, where can people find out more about you? Well, you can find out about Living Right Texas on all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram. You can find us there as a group. And we'd love to have you come join the conversation and sit around with us and talk because we want to learn from you as well. We want to learn from your ideas and your thoughts and we want to encourage you. And if you'd like to get a copy of our book, you can find that on all the places where you buy books, which is called, it's called The Right Calling, W-R-I-T-E, The Right Calling, Encouragement for the Writer's Heart. And it's an anthology that will, I promise, encourage you and give you tools for your writing belt. If you want to find out more about me, you can find me 61-things.com or you can find me on all the social media at 61things and also at my podcast, God in the Ordinary or Gitto, G-I-T-O. And I'd love to meet you over there. Come chat to me. Well, Sharon Tedford, thank you so much for joining us today on the Christian Publishing Show. Thank you so much, Thomas. It's been lovely. If you would like more help starting a writer's group, I encourage you to check out my course, How to Start a writer's group. This course takes you step-by-step step through the whole process from how to pick a meeting format that works for you, where to meet in real life, how to meet online, all the way to dealing with difficult situations. So it deals with the basics of how to get started and the advanced issues. This course doesn't take long to go through and many, many authors have used this course to start their very own writer's group. And the perk of starting your own writer's group is that you can choose exactly the kind of group you want to start, which means you can have the perfect group for you. So if you'd like to learn more, go to christianpublishingshow.com slash courses. This is one of my least expensive courses. It doesn't take long to go through and it could change everything. If you feel lonely, if you feel stressed out, if you feel tired, it may be you just need a group of authors around you and you may be the one to start it. The Christian Publishing Show is a production of Author Media. Producer is Lori Christine. The blog post is crafted by Shauna Lettler. The audio is edited by William Umstadt. And I am Thomas Umstadt Jr., joined by Sharon Tedford, hoping that you live long and prosper.